Ever since darkness entered the world, there has been strife and division. There has been anger and turmoil. There has been harshness. There has been a lack, a strain of the light. There has been pervasive darkness. And this is at each other's throats because people are consumed with selfishness, because people are consumed with their own desires and not with God's desires and not for their brother's good. Instead, they're consumed with their own desires. And we see this incredible tension and we see the war and we see the battles and we see good versus evil and pervasive evil in that throughout the Old Testament. Of course, we see that also today. And what is God's desire in all of this? God is peaceful. His desire for his people is to live in peace. Welcome to an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. walking into the world, when we are stepping outside of our door, even when we're within our own residence, wherever we're at, we are on display for the world. We are a testimony, a living, active, dynamic testimony to the world of whatever we are projecting for those of us who have the name of Jesus Christ on us then we are projecting Christ either in godliness, if we are living faithful to his word, if we have adopted the lifestyle and the fruits of the spirits and all of the, the adjectives of the people of God as described by God in his word, or we're falling short of that because we are not passionate about it. God wants us to be passionate about our relationship with him and passionate about his word. And in that, the work of the Holy Spirit in us through sanctification will bring it out of us. There will be an effervescence. There will be an overflow of God in us to the world. And this is a powerful testimony. And that means that our value system is not the value system of the world. 
That means as the world is chasing selfishness and pride, what can I get from me? That instead, we are to live for the benefit of others. That we are to live in such a way as to show God's love to others. And that starts right at home. If you see your mission on earth is to show other people God's love for them, that will be transformative in the eyes of the world. Let's open in prayer and then we'll be in Genesis 21. Dear God, please move in your people, move in our hearts, teach your children your word. May our desire be for your word and may we learn God from you in your word that we might know your word, that we might hold close your word, that we might hold fast to your word so that we might hold fast to you. For how can we know about you if we do not know your word to us? This is the precious word of God to us and for us about you and about your great love. God, may we be a part of that. May we let loose of the things of this world and hold fast to your word so that we can hold fast to you and that we can be faithful in the mission that you have set before us to show your glory, your goodness to this world. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please open with me to Genesis 21, starting in verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, these seven new lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Well, let's go back to the first verse. Verses 22 and 23. There is a gap between when we were introduced to Abimelech from last week's text. Actually, the last two weeks' text. 
And it could be that it was a period of time. It could be that it was a very brief period of time or significant versus a very brief period of time since when we last read about Abimelech and Abraham. Verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. This is wondrous. Abimelech makes a proclamation. I think Abimelech was dealing, because of the other verses here, because of the, the other description, now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. I think it, it's for sure a couple of things, and it could be a few more. I think Abimelech was possibly dealing with fear either toward other nations and or potentially saw Abraham as a possible threat or, or perhaps he still had somewhat of a lack of trust with Abraham. And this would make sense because of their previous ex encounter in Genesis chapter 20. But Abimelech comes to Abraham here. And then, of course, Scripture makes it clear that Abimelech saw God was indeed with Abraham. We know explicitly because of the dream that God came to Abimelech in a dream in chapter 20. And since they now lived in the same greater region, I'm sure also Abimelech was witness to Abraham being blessed by God. So Abimelech comes to him and he says, don't deal falsely with me anymore. Let, let's make a treaty. Let's make an agreement because Abraham had come to him falsely. Before, out of fear. Abraham had fear. And now it may be that Abimelech doesn't fully trust Abraham. So he wants to make an agreement. He wants to make a treaty. He wants to make a covenant with Abraham that Abraham from now on will always treat him rightly. In verse 24, Abraham's response, different than the first time he met Abimelech. This time he is straightforward with him. I will swear. And then there's an issue of a well. Verse 25 when Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. So this was a well that Abraham had dug as he was sojourning, as he was wandering through the region. Doesn't have a permanent home, doesn't have a permanent location. So he digs a well he needs to for water. And Abimelech's servants had previously seized this. And he confronts Abimelech about it. Abraham was confident to do this. That's important too. Confidence is good. Directness is prudent to do so. When there's been a wrong against you or your family, and it needs to be addressed and it needs to be handled, don't shrink back from it. Address it. God gives us confidence to do so and approached the matter 
in prayer, approach the matter how you think God would want you to do so. Abimelech responds that he knows nothing about it, but how does he prove that to be true? Verse 27. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand. Abraham is bringing a gift to Abimelech. You will take these from my hand. In other words, I am giving them to you. You will take these from me. I am offering this to you as a sign, as its own testimony, as unto the truth, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba because there both of them swore an oath, so they made a covenant at Beersheba. Abraham presents a gift here in Genesis 22. And it also has a relational correlation to their previous encounter. If you remember in Genesis chapter 20, what happened between Abimelech and between Abraham, we'll just cut to the gift part of it here in Genesis 20, verse 14. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants, gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you are vindicated. Abimelech had given a gift to Abraham and to Sarah. He didn't have to, but he was showing his truth. He was showing the truth in it. He wanted it to be public. He wanted it to be known. So they make an oath, more specifically a covenant in today's text, verse 32. And the covenant is from what Abimelech brought to him originally back verse 23. When Abimelech said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do now. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. This is the covenant. What's fascinating here is we do not know that Abimelech, we know that Abimelech had an encounter by God, had a conversation with God. God initiated to him in a dream to speak what God had to say because God was working out his story with his people, which included Abraham and Sarah before. And we see Abimelech respond favorably in the positive to God, how God wants him to respond. When God speaks, Abimelech responds. Abimelech is the one here at the start of today's text testifying of the goodness of God. 
He's saying, I have dealt kindly with you. He is showing God's attributes unto Abraham. And he's asking Abraham to make a covenant. And the aspect of the covenant, the parameters of the covenant, truly what it ought to be also in all areas of the Christian's life is that the commitment between two humans is also before Almighty God. Like a marriage covenant. God is witness. God is always a witness. God is omnipresent. There's nothing outside of his knowledge. And God is therefore over the agreement. He is part of the agreement in his dominion. And in verse 23, even Abimelech requested Abraham, look at how he says this here, to swear to me here by God. Abimelech acknowledges God in it, and he wants to include God in it. And what do we see Abraham do after the covenant between the two men is made? This is fascinating. Verse 33 of today's text. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. He plants a tree in the desert and he worships the Lord. His response in this covenant with Abimelech is worship. What does it take to be a peacemaker? It will likely cost you something. It could be possessions. It could be your image. It could be your so-called reputation that you've built in certain respects, either at work or in other social circles, in the eyes of your neighbor, what have you. It will definitely require you to humble yourself, to seek peace with another person. And it will also require confidence. Where does your confidence come from? It's not from you, it is from the Lord. If you're seeking peace, if you're seeking anything apart from the Lord, not including the Lord in it, does not have everlasting worth, it does not have everlasting joy, the focus of what you are doing is off base. So when seeking peace, it requires affixing yourself to God. When, for Christians, when we seek peace, it's because we are first seeking God. It's because we want to love God first that we seek peace with others. And this runs countercultural to the world because the world is consumed with selfishness. But when you humble yourself... When you refuse selfishness and humble yourself to show peace to others, truly therein is your gain. There is a wealth in the eyes of God in peacemaking. And this is an attribute of our God. Abraham was not living in faith by the earlier encounter he had with Abimelech in chapter 20, but He's now living in faith here. He responds affirmatively to Abimelech 
I will swear an oath. I will swear I will make a covenant with you because I want to live honorably. He agrees to the covenant, and that requires his commitment to a covenant. And that's a big deal. A covenant, we've spoken about this before, a covenant is not a lighthearted agreement. A covenant is not only an agreement. A covenant is not a contract. A covenant is extremely weighty. And it is before the eyes of God. God sees and God knows and God hears and God looks at two parties committing in very deep respect with each other to something in a covenant. It is good. It is deep. It is weighty. And this is what he did here. This is what Abraham and Abimelech did here. And this is not so much about a well. This is about an agreement. This is about a a decision for a relationship. This is about a commitment of a relationship. This is about a deep mutual respect in a relationship and also an intentionality about a commitment in a relationship. See, they could not hold the parameters of the covenant if they thought about it once and then walked away. And didn't think about it again or only thought about it every once in a while. Why? Because then you would not hold to the covenant. You would be off in left field and you would be off in that distant region and you would be off about your work in your home or in the city. And you would think, or you wouldn't think rather, about the covenant. But this is different. The covenant is intentional. The covenant is all-encompassing with respect to the relationship. And being a peacemaker means you're not in it for yourself. You're not in it for what you can get out of it. You're not out to get anybody to enact revenge. You're not motivated by anger or jealousy, covetousness or greed. In fact, it means you're restrained. And like the fruit of self-discipline, you are containing yourself. So it's almost constrained instead of restrained because you are choosing to put limits on yourself because you want it to be about God's glory and about making peace with other humans. For it's truly by our pursuit of peace and our love toward others that the world will see God's love through us. James chapter 3, verse 18 says, Peacemakers who sow in peace will raise a harvest of righteousness. In righteousness, Christians act like our God. In righteousness, Christians are modeling our God. In righteousness, Christians are faithful to our God, and this is what God desires of us, and this is what we desire in our hearts. And when we follow the path of sin, we are not following in the way of righteousness. And when we are acting like the world, 
and we are only out for ourselves, or we are following our selfish desires, we are not acting in the way of righteousness, and we are not building peace with our neighbors. For how, how in selfishness can you build peace in this world with your neighbors, with your coworkers? How can you do that? Let me, let me show a brief example. So if you, because you love God, because you want peace, when there is strife, when there is a disagreement with someone in the world who lives in the world, cares about the world, operates as the world because they do not profess faith in God, when they see you, choose to humble yourself, perhaps in a way, humiliate yourself so that you can bridge peace with them and show them love and care and compassion and humility and respect. Think about the testimony that that is of your God to them. Because that does not show them what they see in the world. This is different. This is absolutely different because God is absolutely countercultural. He is not like the culture. He is not selfish. He is generous. He's incredibly, extravagantly generous. And when we adopt that, Jesus came so humbly to the earth. Jesus was ridiculed and mocked, and he did so without reprisal. He showed us the way of living a godly life to glorify God and to love other people and not to respond in anger, not to respond in retort, not to respond in mocking, not to respond in derision. And when we do that, we also testify to God's great love for them, for the world. In the book of Zechariah, chapter 8, verse 16, the Lord said, These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. The gates of the city were a meeting place. These were important areas of the city. Render in your gates judgments that are true. Sometimes judgments would be made by magistrates at the gates of the city. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. When you make an oath with someone, when you make an agreement, when you make a covenant with someone, abide by it. Love it. Be passionate after it. Be intentional after it. Love no false oath. That means do not love a false oath. Love a genuine oath. Because that is how God feels about it. And who is the one doing all this? 
Who is the one who is compelling men to come to himself? It is the Lord. It is God. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should receive eternal life in his son. But they must repent of their selfishness to do so. They must repent of all other paths in life to do so. Because there is one way to get to heaven. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is Christ alone. One other important wealth that we ought to embrace in these verses is a love for the truth. I think we as humans are born with a desire for truth because truth in my eyes is natural. It is factual, so it is what we are taking in. We don't automatically take in a deception because our eyes see what our eyes see, and those are actual occurrences. We hear what we hear. Now that may be a little bit different, but it is natural. I think it's elemental. It's straightforward. The truth exists. And we see it in so many respects, even as we are young children. We love the truth because the truth, well, for so many reasons, one, the truth is, and then two, the truth often benefits us. And then we quickly see we can contort the truth, we can malign the truth, we can sidestep the truth, all of those being lies, and sometimes get what we want when we hate the truth. We don't think about it in the word of hatred, but that's essentially what it is. And that does something damaging to our soul. We've invited into our mind and our heart a stranger who is very destructive. And once you believe, and so many do, that lies can have some place in your life, then you've become always capable of lying. But in Christ, in God, in the Bible, it calls out lying. It calls it out, has no place for it. The ninth commandment prohibits lying. So too, lying maligns and destroys your testimony in God. So it runs against the third commandment regarding the sanctity of the Lord's name. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. God brings his children instead a love for the truth. There is a revelation of the truth through the work of the Holy Spirit. And the truth is God's nature. Again, John 14, 6. It is of God's nature. God speaks. And when he speaks, it is always true. God moves and he moves in truth. He simply is, and he is in truth. This is who he is. And it was truth which abided in Abimelech's heart when the Lord came to him in the dream in Genesis 20, starting at verse 3. Abimelech spoke the truth in that conversation with the Lord in this dream. And the Lord acknowledged that same truth with Abimelech in response in the dream. Abimelech gave an extravagant gift to Abraham in public a few verses later, starting in verse 14, because the truth 
was absolutely that important to him. Yes, Abimelech knew he was being truthful and that he had not been with Sarah, but he wanted to do something that made it public to the whole assembly. Abraham and his whole assembly, and possibly the city, he gave a costly gift of his own accord. Nobody asked him to do it. He wasn't required to do it. He wanted to show as a sign of his innocence because he feared God and he wanted to testify to the truth that Abimelech already knew. And Abimelech was confronted by Abraham in today's text that Abimelech's servants had acted harshly toward him with the seizure of this well. And Abraham did not have to give a gift then either. He knew the truth. He knew he was right. And Abimelech's servants had acted wrongly. But still, Abraham wanted to show with a gift of grace for a public testimony of the truth in this matter. So Abraham gave sheep and oxen and notably set seven ewe lambs apart as a sign of truth. See, because if Abraham had not dug the well, would there be any reason for him in wanting the well? There would have been a transaction. He would have been trying to purchase the well from Abimelech. And therefore, he would have approached it in that matter. He would have possibly paid a fee for that well. But he does this out of his own accord. Because he was the one who dug the well. And no gift was needed but Abraham out of generosity. Why? Generosity because he loves the truth here. He wants to be a man of truth now. He is changing because he wants to glorify God. Abimelech pursued peace with Abraham back in chapter 20 because, honestly, he was afraid for his life. Because God had told him in the dream, if he did not act as God had said, God would kill him and his entire household. And here, both men pursue peace over a disagreement in the land because they truly want peace among them. They want to live in peace. They want to be men of mutual respect and agreement. And not just at the level of an agreement, but rather a covenant. This is deep. This is weighty. Again, when you enter into a covenant... It is deep. It is weighty. You do not enter into this lightly. This is before God also. All things are, but this also. There are parameters to a covenant. There are consequences to breaking the covenant. God is the God of covenants. So if you enter into a covenant with another person, know that God is the God of covenants. The God is over and above all things. That nothing happens outside of his knowledge. That nothing happens outside of his eye, seeing it. That we are either acting like the world or we are acting like our God. 
And there is zero value and zero worth in acting like the world. There is zero value in selfishness. There is a lie purported by Satan that there is any value in selfishness. In getting what you want. For you. That you deserve something, therefore you should get it because you deserve it because you are so worthy. That is not the gospel. That is not the Bible. That is not our God. Our God is so generous. He comes down and he gives us love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and compassion and enters into covenants with his people when we don't deserve it. When we are not worthy of him. Yet God in his great desire for us, his great desire to be in relationship with us, he still comes to us. Abimelech knows that God is with Abraham. Despite how Abraham acted toward him originally, Abimelech shows a fear of God and sees that God is good. And we read that today at the start of today's text. There is a testimony of God's greatness and God's glory here from God himself and also from Abraham. Because even when we fall short and we do, God is still fully truthful. He's fully faithful and he is fully God. God hasn't missed a beat. He is constant, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He is always glorious. He was always good. And he is always God. And there cannot be true peace without him. Not in any area. Because God holds all things together. All things. And one thing to reiterate here in closing, Abraham said back in Genesis 20, their first encounter, when he was called out by Abimelech, why did you say that Sarah was your sister so that I brought her into my household and almost or was planning to sleep with her as one of she would become one of my wives because Abimelech did not know that they were married until God came to Abimelech in a dream and said, do not touch her for she is another man's wife. Because Abraham had lied to Abimelech about Sarah. Abimelech calls Abraham out in chapter 20. And then Abraham says this. Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Genesis 20, verse 11. But that was from Abraham's fear. That was not true. That was an assumption that it was not true of Abimelech. And it was not true of Pharaoh in Genesis chapter 12, a similar encounter earlier. Both leaders respected the sanctity of a man and wife's marriage. And specifically in Genesis 20, Abimelech respected God. 
We don't know specifically that he was saved, but he speaks and he acts with a respect and a holy fear of God. Or at least a fear of God because of God's encounter to him in the dream. We should never make assumptions of who will respond thus with regard to the Lord or to us. And we should keep at the forefront that we are always testifying to the world. When we are focused on God and godliness, then of God. And when we do not of something weak, whether of fear or confusion, deception, like Abraham and Sarah, or what have you. One is eternal and good, and all others are worthless. When we are focused on God, then we are testifying of God to this world. We are always testifying of God. And when we are focused on the lesser things of this world, that we are missing an opportunity. Then we are choosing something of zero value and we are purporting that instead. And we are wasting time that we have here. Short amount of time that we have here to show God's love to the world. God is writing his story here. God is writing his story in this world, through us, through the lives of his children, because he desires to do his work through us, through our mouths, through our hands, through our feet. And we are to be about his gospel, about his love, about his compassion, about his truth, and about his peace. Let's pray. A wonderful God, the one who has modeled for us great love and compassion, the one who came into a dying, striving, strifeful world to bring peace, the one who has come and is coming and will come again to bring absolute peace to this world. The one who has entrusted us with your truth, with truth across the board for this world. May we not lose sight of the fact that you alone are truth, that you alone are love, that you alone are peace. May we hold fast to you, O Lord, and may we carry your gospel as you've called us to do in Matthew 28, to bring it to the world, to go therefore and make disciples and love people in a way that shows your love, to be keepers of truth and to be makers of peace. We love you, God. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Join me next time as we continue in Genesis chapter 22.